Have you ever wondered how successful architecture, engineering, and construction companies scale their business? Or have you ever wanted guidance on how to get more growth, wealth, and freedom from your AEC company? Well, then you're in luck. Hi, I'm Will Forat. And I'm Justin Nagel, and we're your podcast hosts. We interview successful AEC business leaders to learn how they use people, process, and technology to scale their businesses. So sit back and get ready to learn from the industry's best. This is Building Scale. Today's guest is Sam Clark. He has over 25 years of experience in the construction industry, is the fourth to serve and third generation CEO of Clark Construction. Sam is the vice chair of diversity, equity, and inclusion for the Associated General Contractors, AGC of America. He's also the chairman of the Michigan AGC board and the diversity, equity, and inclusion chair. He was on the board for United Way for 10 years and serves as the fund development chair. Clark Construction has been named in the top 30 coolest places to work by Cranes Detroit for the past two years. And finally, Sam is a proud US Army veteran. So Sam, thank you for your service and welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you. A pleasure to be here. (laughs) We're excited to have you. Just so everybody listening is clear, if we start using DEI as an acronym, that is diversity, equity, and inclusion, a term used to describe policies, programs to promote representation, participation of different groups, individuals, including people of different ages, race, ethnicities, abilities, and disabilities, gender, religions, cultures, and sexual orientation. At least that's what Google tells me I should uh, describe that as, so D-E-I, just so we're all clear about that. All right, Sam, so let's dive in here. I'm not going to say origin story because I've been foiled before, but tell us about you. How did you come become the CEO, kind of the upbringing there, and then why is Clark Construction so great? How did I become CEO? Well, I've been born into construction. I'm a third-generation Clark and uh, been around it my whole life. In fact, enough that I questioned whether I should be, you know, if this was the right place for me. I kind of hopped around a little bit in college, wasn't certain where I wanted to be. So I decided to join the army and I spent three years there. And when I came back, it was clear to me that's what I wanted to do. And I quickly finished up my education and went to work at Clark Construction. And I was a project manager right out of the gate, not ready for that, drinking from a fire hose, bidding jobs and not really qualified to do either one. And I survived those first five years. They were very difficult and I started to enjoy it. Had an opportunity to go to Northern Michigan and and, uh, build a hotel and a water park and a whole bunch of other projects up there. And ultimately a, a casino, which got me into the gaming world. And I became the director of our hotel resort and entertainment uh, business. And from there, I became president of the company in 2009, just in time for the Great Recession, which was pretty humbling. What's great about Clark Construction? You know, it's a family business, but we're a pretty good-sized company, and we have the the tools of the big companies, but we have the small company feel and touch. Uh, People at Clark Construction really, truly care about one another and care about our clients, and it's a nice environment to be around. So... Diversity, equity, and inclusion is obviously a big piece of what we're going to talk about today. So what's the start of that part of the journey? When did that start forming at Clark Construction? Well, we had a, a survey done as part of a peer group I belong to, and um, it was an anonymous survey, and the results were not pretty. You know, uh, Across the board, scores were, were uh, disappointing, but not terribly surprising. 
And in the comment section, I noticed that there were comments about boys club, group think, that sort of thing. And I didn't quite understand that. So I was talking to, and then I was talking to a, a, a woman in our company who was actually the first project manager in the Lansing area, possibly in the state that was, you know, female project manager. And she, uh, so, so we are, we've always been a pretty forward looking company. And she said, you know, the culture here is good. It's this problems that we see are like they are anywhere else. And I think she just didn't really want to explain it to me because I wasn't going to understand it. And she would have been right. So I was talking to my cousin about that. And he works at Lockheed Martin and I was in California for a, 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 a conference and he said, oh, yeah, that's white male culture. And I said, white male what? And he went on to explain that he went to this this uh, learning uh, lab through white men as full diversity partners called the White Man's Caucus. Uh, piqued my interest. We went back to our, I went back to my office and uh, had a conference call with uh, Bill Proudman and some of his people. Uh, and they explained what they do there. And we signed up and, and, uh, and went to the went to the caucus. And it was an eye-opening experience. So what when you said white male culture, what's the quick description of that, Sam? In your well, words? white male. So what we learned at the caucus the first day was that white men are we're both individuals and part of a group, and we don't think of ourselves that way. We think of ourselves as you know individuals. Other groups are other types of people are groups, but we're not. And, and so they helped us understand what that culture looks like. So it's things like rugged individualism, which is and on the good side, it's it's uh, you're not afraid to take risks, and you know, and sometimes that's important. But sometimes taking the risk is, you know, is, is, is not the right thing to do. Uh, we have a low tolerance for uncertainty. So ambiguity is something we're not comfortable with. It's either right or wrong. You're with us or against us sort of thing. Uh, we're action oriented over reflecting. So we're, we spring to action and, and don't necessarily think about the risks that we're upon that, that are involved. We value rationality over emotion. Time is linear. And so we tend to be future focused. We're more tuned into status and rank than connections with other people. And put up a front, you know, it's, we, it's important to us to look strong and be leaders. And so asking questions and being vulnerable is not in, in our wheelhouse, so to speak. Got it. Okay. So, and that obviously that culture can be very impactful for those that are not yeah. white males. And, <laughs> and it's important to note that these are all strengths. And that strengths that are overused become weaknesses. So, well, not all of them are strengths, but most of them yeah. are strengths. They're, they're good things that you need, but if you overuse them, they become weaknesses. And that's why diversity is important. Got it. So inclusion compared to diversity programs that are in companies, what, what's the difference there? Well, one of the things I realized at the caucus is that there are things, everybody's experiencing the world differently than, than white men, for instance. And uh, some of those experiences aren't so positive, so it creates hurdles for uh, other people. And if you don't create an environment that's inclusive, in other words, take down as many of those hurdles as you can. Not everything can be fixed, but um, recognizing the issues and, and, and creating a more inclusive environment is what, I, what we did first, because if you just bring in diverse folks into your organization and they land there, you don't have a diverse, have an inclusive space. 
they're not going to feel safe and they're not going to feel a sense of belonging, which are two things that are, are critical to, to thriving in an environment. They're not going to bring their full selves to work and you're not going to benefit as much from the diversity. Does that make sense? No, it, it does. So in, you're essentially saying like you need inclusion to then start any type of diversity program. Is Am I hearing that correctly? Yeah. So inclusion is a place where people feel welcomed, heard, recognized, and you know, benefit from their contributions. And diversity is people coming from a lot of diverse backgrounds with a lot of different ideas, different sensibilities of the world. And, and if they can show up and feel safe and in a sense of belonging, they bring those aspects to your business or organization. So what are some examples of the benefits when you have that inclusion diversity? Like, so, you know, if you say it's a, a leadership hire or something like that, what do they, what does one bring to the table that obviously white male culture is not looking at uh, that has become beneficial for you guys? Well, when, when I mentioned the, the uh, uh, dominant culture, those traits I just talked about, um, if you have women at the table and people of color who have different uh, uh, leadership sensibilities, such as so with women, they tend to have uh, deeper relationships with people in the organization. So they're going to get underneath the, you know, and understand what's going on better than, than I am or some of the other men in our group. And they also tend to get talked over and not listened to. So if you have a leadership group that is is, is safe and has an inclusive environment, and those people can speak up. When we're when we're considering making a decision about something, some of these other people will often say, "Well, what did you think about this?" And this is what I'm concerned about, or I know that this is going on here, and that's going to cause a problem. And so we can talk through those things. Where in in our previous culture, that kind of you know pushing back on the CEO or questioning the CEO in a lot of organizations isn't a great way to go. Um, it, it can be, it can be risky and you have to go out of your way to make sure that people know that it's safe and, and that you welcome it. And that's all part of creating that culture and then benefiting from what it brings. So can you be a little bit more specific? Like do you actually have, you know, just to kind of compare before and after so people can understand uh, so that we're not talking platitudes. What does it actually mean before and after, you know, even if you can use the same situation of before and after training? So before I went to the caucus and we had a team of uh, six doing strategic planning and they were all white guys. Now we have 17 and there's a mix of races and, and gender there. And, and even in that environment, there were probably things that were being held back in the smaller group. Um, and we were only seeing things through our own perspective. Having this larger group with greater sensibilities has allowed us to focus on things that, that are important to you know, people in the company that we may not have recognized. Our strategic planning process is, is uh, very, uh, very dynamic, and, and we followed through on everything that we put on our list. And uh, I think a big part of that is, is having a, a lot of different perspectives at the table, talking through those ideas until you have alignment. And that's powerful because you, you work through all the issues, and everybody's on board, and everybody's dedicated to making it happen. Okay. So then 
in business sense of things, right? So like, how is the shift to more diversity and inclusion help the company in regards to new business profitability, all the, all the, all the metrics that all uh, owners always want to look at and say, is it help my bottom line in this situation? And that would be helpful to hear your side of that. Certainly. Oh, before the pandemic or before, I'm sorry, before the, uh, before I went to the caucus and we started this journey, we were roughly a $200 million company for maybe 20 years, a little bit up, a little bit down each year, but not on a growth pattern, not identifying things that we needed to get done and knocking them down and, and, uh, and achieving them. We had a uh, retention or a, um, I got retention in my head, but uh, <laughs> that's okay. We like, we, we like to retain things. That's all right. I got no problem <laughs> had, with that. There, we, <laughs> we, we had a turnover rate of 10% back in those days. And today it's 2%. And generally in, inside that 2%, people are just leaving our industry. So very few people leave the industry. We've won we won one project that's a billion dollar bond program and it was largely on our DEI efforts. Wow. Uh, we were recently uh, awarded the MSU Multicultural Center and, and our DEI efforts there were a significant issue. Uh, we've attracted some very talented people. Um, our executive vice president of marketing and business development used to be, lead a major architecture firm in Michigan. And she came over to our company because of the culture. And she's helping us develop our business development uh, approach. We Before, we were mainly on reputation and relationships we had. And we're turning that around and turning you know business development into a strength in our company. We've, uh, we've attracted a number of people in our estimating department. It's interesting. We've also had white men come to our company that were intrigued by this and, and, and drawn into it. Some of our estimators who are women are don't see barriers. They they're getting training and they're and they're growing and doing a tremendous job. There's just a long list of those types of benefits. And in, on top of that, our our profit margin or our bottom line is close to three times higher than it's ever been after you adjust for inflations. And um, that is a pretty big statement. Holy cow, that's huge. Are there like how do you define what are you to get the most out of your people? Do you have a definition for that? Well, we do measure engagement, and that was part of the Crane's Cool Places to Work survey. That we used to measure it by giving a pretty, you know, basic survey as a on a value uh, on a scale of one to ten. You know, how inclusive do you feel we are? And we we did okay with that, but it wasn't uh, a lot of data, so. As we started the strategic planning process, we decided one way we're going to measure our, you know, our, our BHAG or our vision to build the best place to work was to take the Crane School Places survey. And it has a measurement of a lot of different scores, but they have an engagement score on there. And we scored a 99%, which blew me away when I saw it. I mean, I knew things were going well. But I had no idea they were going that well. And to give you an idea of what that means, and there were the questions that were asked are overall, I'm satisfied with my employer. Everybody, 151 people out of 171 answered yes to that. I'm proud to work for this organization and I plan to continue. I'm sorry. And I would recommend this organization's products or services to a friend. We scored no lower than 98% on any questions. The other questions which were, most days I look forward to going to work. My job provides me with a sense of meaning and purpose. 
I feel this organization has created an environment where I can do my best work. I am planning to give extra help to this organization succeed. And I would recommend working here to a friend. Now, if you have that many people in your company answering yes to those questions, they're bringing their full selves to work and they're, you know, understanding the mission and, and giving you everything they have. And that also shows up in our customer satisfaction scores, which are over 95%. That is congratulations. Incredible. I mean, the, the the engagement score, the new projects that you've been able to, to get from all this, that is, that's massive. That's, <laughs> that's real deal, uh, making a change and making a massive change. Wow. Um, and just to be clear, you said BHAG. So I'm assuming this is a scaling up term. Uh, it is. Big Harry Audacious Goal. It is. We <laughs> Big Harry Audacious Goal. And we decided to stop calling it that because it was tiring explaining it to everybody. So we just call it vision. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's hilarious. It's not the opposite. I'm like, I love the BHAG term. That to me, it's just fun. Well, I, and when you tell people what it is, you're like, oh, not many uh, acronyms have Audacious in there. So I'm all about it. <laughs> It truly is our North Star when we think about everything we do, you know, does this fit? Is it helping us move the needle to become, you know, a better place to work, the best place to work? So you obviously are using scale up, uh, scaling up. Why did you start uh, and, you know, these type of changes in your company and where is it taking you? Well, we had some teams that were doing really good work. And uh, we had some teams that, that, that weren't so much. And, and then you take some of those people from other teams and put them with a team that's doing well. And all of a sudden, they're performing better. And I, was, I spent some time thinking about it. And I mentioned earlier, we, we started strategic planning with about five or six white guys and you know all executives. And uh, the results we got out of it were transactional. And I spent some time reflecting on that. And I, and I took responsibility for not setting the stage for some real transformative planning. And uh, as I thought about that, I decided that we needed to have a new mission statement and it needed to be more aligned with who we are. And so I spent some time thinking about that and it boiled down to trust and we're builders. And uh, we, we settled on, we build on a foundation of trust. And it was important to me that it's what we do and it was easy for people to remember. And the other part of that is trust is an assessment that we make subconsciously. So our values are simply the four components of trust, competency, reliability, sincerity, and care. If you're good at what you do and you, and you do what you say you're gonna do, uh, that's, that's what you need to do to get in the door in our business. But if you bring sincerity and you, you mean what you say and care, you truly care about your clients and about the people you work with and, and all, all the uh, stakeholders, that dr- brings high levels of, of trust. And we, those are our values so that those are in the front of the mind. And we talk about them every day and, and uh, everybody in the company knows them. And that's not an ordinary Thing to say or have happen. So before <laughs> I have a question, but before we go on, I love the mission statement into the core values and how it's all based on trust. To me, it's like Picasso art. Like this is perfect. Like no question about it. It's, it's awing to me. So kudos to you for your, you know, reflection, oh, meditation, whatever, however, however, this uh, grandioso vision came in play. It 
it's perfect. Like I, I, I wouldn't change it and I don't work there, but I wouldn't change it. <laughs> That's funny that you say that. Cause I think of it as fundamentals like blocking and tackling. <laughs> it's, uh... That like, there, there's a story about like people that have watched the greats, like, like Kobe Bryant, like warm up. And he always does the basics or he, he always did the basics when he was playing right. in, in a lot. Right. And it's just like, and then they always ask him, well, why are you doing the basic footwork? Why are you doing, he's like, that's how you become the greatest in the world. Right. I mean, like you have to do all the basics. Right. And you, and to get trust, right. One, it's not easy. It's not like, Oh, trust is easy to do. Right. That's not right. an easy task at all, but Oh, if you can figure it out and obviously that's your focus. Oh, that it's beautiful. To me, it's like, it's like singing, opera or just amazing like amazing moment when you first told me that i was i was in awe i wrote it down like four different times in four different ways so um it's, yeah it's <laughs> another sidebar on that one of the women that i mentioned that came here she was thinking about our values and she was she's like how does that work i don't understand it and then you know and then she came here i mean she knew she liked the environment and she came here and she saw how it worked and she was like oh now i get it but it's it's everything lands differently for different people, but um, it's a priorities and it's, you know, I kind of thought about it as bottling up something that's good and sharing it with every, you know, with everybody else. And, and it's, it's interesting how powerful that can be for an organization. So it's one thing to turn around, right? That's an effort on its own, but then also to continue, right? Cause you still have some turnover and that's normal in a company but then you have to continue that. So there's obviously something in place to be able to do that because to keep it that high continually, that's what's actually even more impressive. It's not just a, we went, did this thing and then forgot about it. Now it's implemented. Talk, talk to us about that. That's the power of scaling up and having an inclusive group of people uh, uh, working on, on the strategic plan. So as we began to grow, we started identifying new needs, you know, and that's where people, I think, fall down. You win the work and then, you know, then what? Now you've grown, but how do you keep that momentum going? My uncle used to say back in the old days, we would swallow a new job like a, and digest it like a snake. (laughs) And then we'd look around and we we wouldn't have anything left to eat. And, uh, um, and there's some truth to that. And I think a lot of construction companies are worried about adding overhead because it's not always going to be this good. And there is some truth to that. So what we looked at was initially was while we're growing, we won, you know, the first quarter, we won $400 million worth of work, which is the biggest amount we'd won in a three month period ever. And uh, we, we said, all right, to keep this going, we have to be great at business development. So that was one of our, our thrusts. And uh, right now, we're, you know, when we got started there, it was, you know, uh, almost thought of as a dirty word in construction in our company. You know, we're builders, not, you know, not business development people. So we hired uh, uh, Janice Suchin and she uh, went to work as our vice president of business development and marketing. And she's developing systems and training and, um, you know, software to help make sure that we keep that pipeline uh, full and, you know, and having a great culture and having a great system is, is really helpful to that. Uh, we ask every year uh, uh, in surveys to our employees, what should we start doing? What should we stop doing? What should we continue doing? And that lets us know how people are feeling about things we're doing and, you know, what we need. And, 
And usually there's a theme each year. And, you know, one year it was uh, uh, training. So we hired a training manager. We never, we didn't, hadn't had one before and uh, put together uh, development plans for everybody in the company and identifying needs and training. It increased our training budget dramatically. Another year it was uh, integration, you know, IT integration. Well, actually before that it was, we need new computers. We, our, our IT systems don't work very well. It was just, you know, a lot of comments about that. And the interesting thing about that is we had just blown up the company. We're doing $500 million worth of work and we're heading into a pandemic. And three months before that, we spent a half, we spent $500 million on new computers and complete overhaul of all of our infrastructure. And that was something that was kind of hard to write the check for. But I'm thankful that we did because uh, had we not, we would have been hacked. Our computers were running too slow to, you know, to have Zoom meetings and do all the training and things we did uh, when, when, when the pandemic hit. It would have been a nightmare. and We probably wouldn't be holding on like we are. Um, so uh, I don't know if that answers your question, but it's it, those that the rhythm of those those meetings and the rhythm of the surveys and the feedback from the peer groups helps us focus on the next thing. Oh, it's perfect. Things that rise. You, yeah. No, so also I want to clarify, you said 500,000 in computers, right? Not 500 million in computers. Because if you did, I'm we're going to have, have a separate 000. conversation, Sam. I'm, we're going to have a long conversation <laughs> after this podcast. 500,000. <laughs> It felt okay. like 500 million. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. <laughs> okay. No, you you definitely answered it. Um, and then uh, the piece that I want to also make sure in terms of receiving, you know, what is this process around receiving and uh, keeping engagement high internally? Because you're asking these questions. How often are you asking these questions? We do that once a year, we do the crane survey. And once a year, we do the three questions. Um, I, I'm not a believer in bombarding people with a lot of surveys because I want honest answers from them. But we also have the peer groups that get together once a month and that. So the peer groups, you have senior PMs, project managers, superintendents, project engineers, and we have support staff here in the office. And then there's the uh, senior managers and VPs and, you know, the operations meeting. And it's an opportunity for us to share what's happened in the last month in the company and, uh, and also get some feedback from them. But we also create connections with them in the company so that they have, you know, uh, somebody they can call and, you know, and trust that will help them when they need, when they need help or support. And, you know, we, we get that kind of, direct feedback in those meetings as well. And one of the things that we did coming out of our DEI group that surprised me was we do these getting to know you presentations and we did it in our DEI committee first. So every meeting we'd have three people do a little slideshow of their life, whatever they want to share. And people would share, you know, all kinds of stuff, difficulties they've had, you know, uh, illnesses, people die, I mean, just all kinds of struggles, but also things that they're good at, things they like. And um, it's an opportunity for them to show a little vulnerability if they decide to do that. And a lot of people did. And, and it went so well, we decided, well, let's try it with the superintendents. And the superintendents really liked it. And it, 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 when, you, when you show a little vulnerability, I think it helps form you know, friendships and, and helps people you know, uh, ask for help. 
So the getting to know you slideshow, gonna have to ask later on as to what one of those looks like. That sounds super cool. Like that's really personable. And like in the construction industry, being vulnerable like that, like it doesn't happen. Like people wanna put their wall up and, and that's it, right? Yeah, so, that's right. When do you do these slideshows? Peer group meetings do them and, and it's part of, it's not just you sit down and you're doing business. There's about 10 or 15 minutes at the end, typically where, you know, you, we, you know, it, it takes a little bit of time to get through everybody, but it also, it helps, uh, you know, the, the braver ones that go first or, you know, can show the way to everybody else. And it kind of sets the tone for how everybody else is going to respond to it. So as the first few people do it and they, uh, you know, show themselves and, and uh, show some vulnerability, it, it, it's contagious. Um, yeah. And if that yeah. doesn't happen, then it's not so much. But it seemed like one of these things that how impactful can this be? Um, and kind of a, I don't know if we should, you know, if I'm comfortable with this, but it turned out to be pretty powerful. So thank you for sharing that. That's super awesome. One other thing that you had mentioned uh, as you were as you were doing a strategic plan, you were talking about that you spent a half million dollars on uh, on your technology. Did you always think that your technology was important to your growth? No, I mean I, I always <laughs> thought it was important, but I undervalued it. I think we did as an organization. It was you know how little can we spend on, you know, and get away with. And uh, because, you know, we're focused on overhead and and uh, turned out that we had underspecced our computers. So we had to replace every computer in the company. Well, we, we did do it, we needed to. And uh, we started looking at software as and technology as a way to support our BHAG to build the best place to work. And if we have slow computers that are frustrating and getting hacked and, and uh, the software is old and doesn't work, uh, how can you legitimately say we're building the best place to work? So we, while we haven't done anything earth shattering with technology, um, we're, we're strong on the technology side. All of our stuff works really well. In fact, when we hire new people, they're always impressed by our technology and how well it works. And, you know, they get nice computers and, and uh, they're happy. Um, but now we, we've solved a lot of problems in our first four years of the scaling up process. Now we can focus on some of those more um, innovative ideas. So we, we just uh, promoted somebody to an innovation director and we're in the process of hiring an integration manager to help us tie those systems together, make them work better and more efficiently. If you were going to tell Sam of five years ago that you were going to have an innovation person and a, in, an integrator for IT, what would have four, five years ago Sam told you? I would have said, how in the hell are we going to pay for that? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And what That's, are they going to do? <laughs> exactly. We have computers. We don't need anything else. What are we talking right. about here? Yeah. Yeah, it's I didn't see that coming. This is obviously a common kind of thing uh, within the construction industry, right? Is it's it's a cost. How should someone, since you've already lived through it, how should someone approach technology and and be able to evaluate technology as you know it's not just a cost center? Because you obviously went through that transition of it's a cost center to now, oh crap, I need to actually think about this differently, right? And you had obviously scaling up to help you with that. 
what would be your advice for someone that's a lot smaller that's not that's not in your position how do they sort of carve that out in their company and go we need to spend 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 something here and how do they justify it well i guess i would say it's about improving your processes and making your people more efficient and we used to look at a piece of software and say all right i'm going to spend hundred thousand dollars on this or 200 whatever the number is or this the training and everything that goes with it am i is that going to mean i can reduce the number of people on my job site by one and if that's the case why well, it makes sense but that usually doesn't happen what it does is it frees that person up to spend more time paying attention to high dollar value things, risk things, you know, uh, pushing the job or managing the project um, in less time being frustrated. And, you know, when you're frustrated, you're not even thinking that clearly about all those other high value things. So it, it's it's important and it's not always a you know, arithmetic, you know, I add this and I delete that and there's, there's profit at the end of the trail, but it does drive engagement. And I would say one of the things I didn't talk about is we have a risk list or a, an insurance issue list. And uh, we're twice as big as more than twice as big as we were five years ago, but that list is about a, a third of the size. I mean, it's, it's a one sheet of paper and, uh, you would expect that list to grow with the size of the company. And part of it's technology and having people paying attention to the right things. And part of it's a big part of it is engagement and inclusiveness and people feeling safe and the sense of belonging and dignity and all those things kind of work magic. Where did this risk list come from? Where did, where did you get that concept and idea? Anything that might hit our insurance or our bottom line, uh, goes on this list. And, and so you have to notify your insurance company immediately. If you don't, they'll try to wiggle out of covering your, your, your loss. So we, we get out in front of that and we review it once a, uh, once a month with our uh, insurance uh, broker, or maybe it's twice a month. But I used to sit in on those meetings because there was a lot going on and now we've got it well covered and um, there's not so much, you know, going on there so just to recap i just want to make sure i heard you correctly so by spending more strategically on technology you're it didn't necessarily free your people up to be you know to reduce let's say your headcount by one but what it did it has allowed your people to do higher level things that they wouldn't have necessarily been able to do before and reduce and even reduce your risk uh in other places so you wouldn't have been able to account for it directly, but indirectly because of your like insurance uh, and insurance policies, you were able to actually reduce your risk in other places because technology made you, I guess, more efficient. Is that a fair way of putting it? I, that's fair. Yeah. And as you've grown, your actual risks have reduced because your people are able to pay attention more into those risks because they don't have to think about certain things because the technology is doing it for them in other places in the company that that yeah, if you spend right? half your day trying to upload things and you know manage your software system and you don't know what's going on outside the trailer that's a problem so um we've definitely benefited from that perspective super interesting never even thought about it that way and we run in technology right <laughs> so this is this is great to great to hear because we would have never known that so awesome thank you for that feedback all right, Sam, 
I got one more for you. So we already did a little time hop back five years. I want to know 20 years though. So if you can go back in time 20 years and tell yourself something. What would that be? I would tell myself to invest heavily in, in training and particularly in leadership training and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Because uh, that is uh, when our company started to turn the corner when we started doing those things. And uh, we're doing more and more of it uh, every year. And, and it's, it's like technology. It pays benefits that are hard to, hard to quantify, but they're definitely there. And no, so starting that process earlier, is there anything you can do today to just magnify that and try to get back some of those years that you missed? <laughs> Nothing comes to mind. <laughs> <laughs> look, right. I'm, I'm asking hard questions now. Well, look, we, switched, we switched positions. You are. You are. <laughs> anything that I can do now to make up for that uh, lost time is lost time. Uh, but, uh, to um, just to make sure we don't uh, revert back and keep our you know keep our commitment to to training and furthering our DEI journey. We don't know everything yet, and we never will. So it's a it's a process, and and uh, um, there are things that we're going to learn about DEI and about leadership that are going to make a difference. And uh, um, there's still a lot to learn. So what I really heard was. Uh, tell all your friends about building scale. Come listen to the Sam, uh, Sam Clark <laughs> podcast because he's got the wisest words in the world. Uh, in the world, and if you don't, well, I'm sorry. You're just going to have to. You're going to run through those same entrepreneurial taxes. The most impactful uh, thing I've ever spent uh, invested in from a training perspective is the White Man's Caucus through White Men as Full Diversity Partners. And, I think sometimes people think I'm getting paid for saying that because I say it over and over and over, but you can't afford not to go. I will make sure we put that link in the show notes. So uh, if you have questions, obviously um, (laughs) being able to to look at it yourself and I'm sure Sam would be happy to tell you how amazing they are. Well, thank you, Sam. Thank you. All right. Is there anything else you want to share uh, other than, you know, my thought in the back of my head as we're going through this conversation, and I didn't have it earlier to say, but Sam, you should write a book. Like you, you have told you've totally leadership diversity or DEI across the board. Like you, you're sitting on all these, you know, chairs and boards, your company obviously has proven, Hey, this is the path. <laughs> this is the path to the future. So that's something you should think about doing. And, and then once you write that book, we'll, we'll have you back so you can promote the book. <laughs> I want to thank all our listeners for uh, listening and you know, you've been amazing. You've been amazing on our show. So thank you for sharing everything that you've shared today. Uh, and, and we'll put into the show notes, uh, how to contact you. Is there, is there any, any way that people should be contacting you uh, besides LinkedIn? Email would be a good way to ask Clark at clarkcc.com. All right. No problem there. Yeah. That's all. That's all we got. So. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure doing it. (laughs) Perfect. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today and listening to this episode. If this episode did help you, then be sure to share it with someone else who needs to hear it. If you want to be a guest on the podcast or looking for additional help on your journey to find more wealth, scale, and freedom in your AEC company, visit our AEC resources page at spotmigration.com backslash AEC hyphen resources. resources.